This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Remember this one college professor being like, why are you late? And I was like, you know, it's early. It was a 10 a.m. class. And he's like, it's not that early. And just like, I, when I'm late now, like those are the things that come flooding to me. It's like all those memories that like, that it's my fault. You know, it's a personal failing that like, that I can't be on time or that I can't meet deadlines. I really don't want to let people down. Welcome to How To. I'm science writer David Epstein. Deadlines. Can't live with them, can't live without them. Or uh, something like that. As a journalist, I have a long relationship with deadlines. From a startup I worked at where I had to file a story every single day, to book projects that I have to time out over multiple years. And a lot of the writers who have mentored me and that I've admired have really specific views on deadlines. Like Tim Layden, my favorite writer when I was at Sports Illustrated. He was sort of an old school newspaper guy that kind of like, you know, if you can't make your deadlines, this ain't the business for you, kid. Or my reporting partner there, Selena Roberts, who famously filed a story about a Knicks playoff win within minutes of the final buzzer, and it was so good that it gets taught in journalism classes. For most of us, though, deadlines can really be fear-inducing. And yet, we know we need them. But if we don't use them wisely, deadlines can be useless. Or even worse, they can be counterproductive. Our listener this week has the best of intentions when she sets deadlines, but she just can't seem to follow through. Meet Avalon. I'm kind of a classic millennial where I've had to do a lot of different things to make money. So, you know, I have a background in the restaurant industry of like 17 years, but I'm also a DJ and I'm a digital illustrator. And at any given time, there may be a lot of different income streams that I have going on where I'm, I'm making money. I mean, come on, it's hard enough for people with one job to keep track of all the moving pieces. But now with the gig economy, having multiple jobs, like I lost jobs because I would forget that I picked up a shift and just not show up type of thing. Um, you know, I would forget to submit art to a contest by the deadline or just like, like just things would just pass by. I'd be like, oh no, that was yesterday or that was last week or whatever. Or like forget to reply to an email and, and miss out on an opportunity. I mean, it's it's mm. affected my my life in, in, in many, many ways, both personally and and professionally. So it's hard for Avalon, you know, not to wonder, like, where her life might be if she didn't fumble opportunities. Back in college, Avalon really wanted to do music illustrations. So, of course, she was stoked when she got an email from the emo band Brand New. That was a band she actually knew, and they were asking her to design t-shirts for them. So this was an ideal opportunity to combine her loves of music and art. I was so kind of anxious and overwhelmed that I did eventually respond, but it was so much later. Like, it might have even been 
more than eight months after the band originally reached okay. out that I was like, hey, yeah, I would like to, you know, and I, I never heard from them again. Avalon says her problems are bigger than just simple procrastination. Her lack of organization and a lack of accountability, that makes it really hard for her to actually follow through on tasks. I have a bullet journal and I write stuff down, but I need deadlines and I need that structure. And also, I hate that structure and I resist it and I don't <laughs> want it. And so it's hard to like, like, I think I don't always, I don't want to give myself deadlines because I associate deadlines with like this guilt and this like failure, specifically with design and illustration jobs. People will say, you know, do you want me to pay you now, you know, but like before the job is done? And I'm always like, no. Absolutely not. Do not pay me until it's done. Uh, because I do feel like I'm, I need to like trick, trick my brain. On today's episode, how to set deadlines and then trick your brain into meeting them. Because if used properly, deadlines can be powerful motivators that ensure you finish your project not only on time, but without having to pull the dreaded all-nighter. This is the second in our two-part series on time, how to manage it and how to make the most of it. We're joined by expert Christopher Cox, who has some concrete steps for creating deadlines that you'll actually stick to. And it doesn't matter if you're a chronic procrastinator or a sometime procrastinator or someone who is usually pretty good about these things. It's, it's a useful tool for everyone. Don't stray away. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. When Avalon was growing up, she used to think missing deadlines was almost like a birthright. My mom always says I was born 17 days late. And so she, whenever I was putting things <laughs> off to the last minute, she'd be like, well, you know, that's just your birth story. Gotcha. It's like, you know, <laughs> has like... It was a really easy birth once I was born, but I, I but I put it off. So, but but then you know I got diagnosed with predominantly inattentive ADHD, and a lot of the stuff that 
uh, that has revealed to me about myself, you know, is that like I have decision paralysis and I have time blindness and I have all these kind of things that make that stuff difficult. Avalon's diagnosis was kind of a relief. For the first time in 32 years, she felt like she actually understood her sometimes chaotic mind. It's hard because I, even with the, the help of medication and like the clarity around that diagnosis, I do still struggle to manage time and manage deadlines and all that stuff. So like the only way I could clean is if someone was coming over to my house. Like I, I would sometimes be like, okay, I need to have people over because I need to clean and I won't do it. <laughs> Unless oh, I wow, you have people over. over to get yourself to clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, and then that's if people came over, I like that hack, place. actually. Yeah. I don't want to minimize what, you, what you're struggling with, but I do think that you're not alone here. Like, you know, yeah. these are problems that we all face. This is Christopher Cox. He's a journalist and author of the new book, The Deadline Effect. How to work like it's the last minute before the last minute. The first thing that I actually think it might be useful to talk about is just this sense of, of guilt that you have, um, Avalon, uh, about getting things done. Avalon's fear of failure and the subsequent guilt of missing a deadline, it leads to a snowball of procrastination. And that's a basic impulse, and it's completely understandable. When we miss a deadline, we view it as a personal failure or a failure of willpower, and we vow to do better next time. But it turns out that just like with expecting pure willpower to keep you on that diet or exercise routine, not a super helpful approach. You need better systems. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the solution is to sort of put yourself in a situation where you don't need to exercise that much mm. willpower. You know, to arrange your deadlines, to arrange your life uh, in such a way that um, it becomes easier to sort of to get things done the way you want to. Like in a, in a way, the worst deadline you can set is just as soon as possible. Um, you need to set a concrete deadline. Um, it really needs to be a date and maybe even a time. And it sounds like um, you're working towards some of those things with your bullet journal and the other ways you have of organizing your calendar. But to my ear, I think your system is too complicated as it stands now. <laughs> I think you just need like the simplest possible list of what you have to do and when it has to be done by. And if it's something that doesn't actually have a due date attached to it, a deadline attached to it, then you need to set that deadline. Avalon, what were you what were you laughing at there while Chris was talking? <laughs> the procrastination is the basic impulse. <laughs> I just thought I mean, yeah, I, I've definitely been a huge a huge procrastinator always. But like if I make a to do list and I don't get everything done on that day and then I'm pages past that, like that could still get lost mm-hmm, in the bullet mm-hmm. journal, you know? There's just there's always a potential for things to fall through the cracks. And I think well, that's like, it's just so hard. Well, well yeah, let's talk about um, setting priorities for a second. Um, in your case, you know, a DJ gig that is fun, but you're not getting paid for. If you spend a lot of time preparing for that, rather than a big uh, illustration commission, that will be a big break for you. You know, that's obviously not the way you should be setting your priorities. So yeah. you have to sort of, to some extent look at both the deadline and the importance of each of these things at the same time. So our first rule for setting a perfect deadline is to figure out your priorities. Chris recommends sorting your projects into an A-list and a B-list. The A-list has stuff that's highly important. The B-list is stuff that's nice to do, but it's not as urgent. 
I've actually been doing this with some of my own tasks, and I find that I actually never get to some of the stuff on the B list, and that's totally okay. It's usually because it wasn't that high of a priority in the first place. And sorting that, it helps me stay focused on the stuff that's really important. And then go to that A list and create a calendar. You know, set your figure out the deadline for each one, whether you're setting it yourself or it, it comes attached to the to the task itself. And tackle those things first. Ignore the B list until you've got everything done off that list. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, I I can hear you hesitating. You feel like you've done these kind of things before. Um, But I do think that, like, you know, the more concrete you can be in setting your deadlines and setting your goals, the more likely it is you're, you're going to meet them. Chris pointed to a couple of experiments that showed how this works. Two psychologists... Uh, offered students $5 for filling out a long questionnaire, uh, pretty low stakes here, but um, it was just testing the, the thesis of what a deadline does. Uh, one group was given five days to complete the task, the other was given no deadline, and the deadline group was two and a half times more likely to, to fill out that questionnaire and get $5. So just the very fact of setting, again, a concrete specific deadline uh, on a task makes you much more likely to do it. Also, the shorter the better as the U.S. Census Bureau discovered in 2006. So there's an experiment that was done by a, a census worker. Um, they sent out two versions of the same census form. One had a deadline that was one week earlier than the normal deadline. So some people got the normal amount of time to respond, some people got one week less. Um, and they discovered, somewhat to their surprise, that the people who had the shorter deadline were more likely to turn in their census forms. I mean, the other thing I'll say is that self-imposed deadlines are almost as effective as external ones. It really does work. But what if you're a creative person, like Avalon? Is there a danger in setting a too tight deadline that might be at odds with the creative process? It might sound counterintuitive, but Chris says not necessarily. When I was writing, uh, I was worried that if I was too strict with, like, oh, I need to finish a chapter by this date, I was like, oh, but am I giving myself a chance to you know, really explore where I can go conceptually or with the language in this chapter. That sounds freeing, but actually giving yourself too much time to do something or, or not sort of forcing yourself to do the work um, can just make you miserable. I mean, are, are you happy when you're procrastinating? Not at all. It's not a creative space. It's just a sad space. It's like the a sonnet, you know, there are rules to a sonnet, but inside that space, there's space for limitless creativity. And I feel the same way about deadlines. Like a deadline is not the enemy of creativity. A deadline is a way to sort of urge you towards a creative mode. That's that's such a great, I wrote that down. Deadlines are not at odds with creativity. That's really, that's great. I should reframe my thinking around that. It reminded me of one of my favorite quotes, which is uh, from Duke Ellington, who said, I don't need time, I need a deadline. <laughs> um, because he, he left everything to the last minute, personal, professional, everything. Like he'd be on the way to Carnegie Hall, you know, as like the first jazz composer to be going to Carnegie Hall and like writing in the car, like on the way there. I'm not at all surprised that someone could be extremely motivated by a deadline and yet still, you know, turn up with the most creative, wonderful, wacky music possible. Like I, I just don't see the two things as being at odds. I tell this story in the book, but there was a writer um, that I was working with, and he's a, a brilliant writer. Um, it was always worth um, having him write a piece for you because the final product would, would be so um, eye-opening. But 
uh, he just could not uh, stick to a deadline. After working with him on a few different stories, I eventually hit upon this idea to basically give him the shortest deadline I possibly could. So rather than letting him sort of suffer for weeks and months to turn something in, I was going to say, no, it's due in five days. Like, you have no time at all to work on this. You just have to do it right now. Hmm. And for the first time ever, you know, he turned something in when I needed it. Um, it came right away. And I think, you know, this gets back to the creativity question. It's like, before I did that, that successful experiment, I thought, oh, well, this fellow is so creative. I need to give him time to let the process work. But you know, the piece that he turned in after five days resembled the piece he would turn in after six months. It was just, he got, it, he got it done much more quickly. This leads us to our second rule. Set concrete deadlines. If your project doesn't come with a deadline, make one and get started. Obviously, you need some time to do the work, but push for the shortest realistic deadline. And remember that by setting a deadline, you're not necessarily sacrificing creativity or quality. In fact, the projects might turn out even better. So when we come back, we'll give you the deadline structure you need to set yourself up for success. Meet us back here after the break. And don't be late. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. We're back with our listener, Avalon, and our expert, Chris Cox, author of The Deadline Effect. And if there was ever pressure to make a deadline, it'd probably be that deadline to turn in your book on making deadlines. My editor told me, here's your due date, you know, it's in the contract, but don't worry if you, if you blow past it. And I said, that's the last thing I want to hear. Like, yeah. I really, I, I, I'm going to ignore what you just said, and I'm going to send it to you on this date, I promise you. And uh, I turned it in on the due date. That's interesting. I've written two books, and the first one, I totally ignored that deadline, like never even thought about it. And the book project dragged on a lot longer than it should have. <laughs> so with the second one, I had a long deadline for the second one and decided I would absolutely stick to turn it in that day, which is really hard because you can't really that well plan a project from 23 months out and say, mm. I'm going to deliver it on yeah. April 2nd, which was the day I was supposed to deliver it on. But I did. And I'm, I'm really glad that I forced myself to stick to that. Yeah. Uh, but what you end up eliminating is not productive working time. Um, you eliminate all the wasted time uh, if you set your deadline and stick to it. So I, I did get to pick my own deadline for my book uh, to go on the contract, and I deliberately chose something that felt a little bit uncomfortable. That was like, mm. uh, I, don't, I don't know if I can actually get this done. Um, I had to report all the chapters. You know, I, I went to nine different organizations and embedded in them to sort of see how they dealt with high-pressure deadlines. Mm-hmm. So I had to do all of that and then write the whole book, and I gave myself uh, 13 months, so a little, just a little bit more than a year. And mm-hmm. It was tight, but it also like it. It 
helped me. It helped me feel energized throughout the whole process. It's like, oh, I can't pause here. I have to keep going. But yeah, actually, it reminds me of, um, I think this was Ernest Hemingway in his interview with the Paris Review. He talked about being sure to end each day um, in the middle of a sentence or a paragraph that he really wanted to write and then stop there. (laughs) So that meant that the next, next day he would wake up and be sort of ready to go right away. Oh, wow. So he had something that's interesting from a few standpoints. It could be like, oh, burning, like I really want to finish this, but I'll leave it. But also like you don't have to think about where to start the next right. day. You you literally yeah. have something that's half done. So, yeah, you, that's so like, it's like yeah, cognitively outsourcing where to start. <laughs> you're bar- borrowing some of the energy from the day before to, to get yourself started the next day. Oh, that yeah. would definitely help me. So Avalon, if you ever had you know something that's clearly going to take you you know, multiple weeks, multiple months to finish. Um, that's when you start thinking about setting um, these sort of waypoints along the way to measure your progress. And, you know, the whole question of whether a self-imposed deadline is real or not doesn't really matter. As soon as you impose that deadline, it is going to have an effect on your behavior. This is our next rule. Set interim deadlines. Think of them as waypoints or check-ins to measure your progress and keep up your momentum. But for interim deadlines to be effective, the timeline does need to be realistic. Often people run into a cognitive bias known as the planning fallacy, where they're overly optimistic about just how much they can get done in a certain amount of time. The Sydney Opera House, which had an original deadline of six years and a budget of seven million uh, Australian dollars, uh, it ended up taking 16 years and uh, $102 million. So, you know, it, it, it afflicts uh, big projects and small projects. And the sort of solution to the, the planning fallacy is to just be very deliberate as you think about how long something is going to take. Um, and rather than allowing optimism to sort of uh, get you carried away, you, you need to think of the, a project you've done in the past that was the most similar to this project and then use that to to set your timeline for getting something done. And if you haven't done something similar yourself, look at other people's projects and plan based on what their timelines actually turned out to be. The other trick is what's called planning from right to left. The right to left uh, idea came from actually Airbus, uh, the aerospace company. I talked to an engineer there and um, he was talking about what it takes to basically take an airplane design. So if you're gonna build a new type of airplane, um, and take it from the first stage of conceptualizing it all the way to delivering it to an airline. And he said, well, we actually start by figuring out what the due date is going to be. Like, when are we going to deliver this to, you know, American Airlines, United Airlines, whatever. And then we work backwards from then. So that's working right to left. So rather than planning your schedule, being like, well, Stage one is this, it's going to a lot a year for that. Stage two is this, it's going to a lot a year for that. You start with a deadline and then you work backward. Avalon, do interim deadlines, does it sound like something that, that might be useful for you? It does sound like it would be really useful. And I love thinking about it as checkpoints, as quality control. That's how you should be thinking about these interim deadlines. If you set smart deadlines and take them seriously, you're building in the opportunity to revise and check that the work you're doing is solid along the way. These interim deadlines, they also provide a sense of accountability, which can be something that's really easy to dodge when you either don't have anyone to answer to or your deadline's months away. 
I'm looking at your Instagram page. By the way, I love the logo with the the purple forked tongue and the dagger. That's super cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I wonder if maybe you could set an interim deadline where you're like, you're trying to do some illustration. It's not done, but whatever's there is something like you could put on Instagram. Like I will put it on on this day, like whatever's there. So it's something, even if it's not a final thing. I don't know. I'm just trying to contrive a way that might be a way to make these interim deadlines that, that feel real and that have something concrete to do. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. And I think it goes back to the self-imposed rules where I'll be, you know, I I don't post that much on my artist's Instagram because I'll be like, well, I don't want to post this until it's completely done. It would be good for me to, you know, to see like post on Patreon every two weeks, whatever whatever it is, whatever is coming up. Yeah, like whatever's working, like whatever you've been working on, whatever's going on, just... Posting. That, that idea of posting something on your Patreon every two weeks is interesting because that would be a self-imposed deadline. Yeah. Um, but then it would also start to become an external one too, especially if you have people who are out there who like know that it's every two weeks and are out there waiting for it and expecting it. Then you have someone else relying on you to meet that deadline and, and then it sort of becomes something more than self-imposed uh, once you start doing that. Mm. Do you think people should have like self-imposed, they're obviously consequences, but self-imposed consequences for missing their own deadlines. I mean, I, I think that they do work, um, but it's actually not the way I like to think about deadlines. I like to think of them as uh, something that brings, you know, happiness and creativity and a sense of accomplishment to your life, not something that feels like a punishment. Like, again, I think procrastination is the punishment. The deadline is is the solution to that. Oh, that's such a great way to think about it. Here's our last rule. Set and track your deadlines in the simplest way possible. You don't need fancy software or complex spreadsheets. Just grab a pencil and a piece of paper. You know, I don't use apps. I, I, I basically, all my deadline organizing I do with the simplest tools possible. For me, so it literally was. Um, I, I got not even a full-size piece of paper, a little notepad when I was planning my book schedule and I wrote it down by hand. Um, like, this is my schedule for reporting this chapter. This is my schedule mm-hmm. for writing it. And that simplicity really helped me. I, I returned to that piece of paper so often that it got a little bit wrinkled by the end. But uh, but it was all I needed to get this big project done. And, and Avalon, I feel like the, the same thing could help you for sure. I, I completely agree. And I, you've, you've said so many things that are so helpful. I mean, just thinking of the procrastination as the punishment and not the deadline is like... I just feel like that just changed my life just thinking about it differently. And I, I love <laughs> I love that if you just just thinking about something differently can change your relationship to it. And I love the idea of deadlines bringing more creativity to my life because I am a creative person and I do want to be successful. So I, I that's that's all really helpful. Thank you. Thanks to Avalon for sharing her story with us, and to Christopher Cox for all of his useful advice. Make sure to look for his new book, The Deadline Effect, how to work like it's the last minute before the last minute. And if you want to hear more on this topic, make sure to catch last week's episode on being more productive by breaking your distractions. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646 495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. 
You've got until next week's episode to meet that deadline. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg is host emeritus. I'm David Epstein. Thanks for listening.